I'm Derek Dingle, Senior Vice President and Chief Content Officer at Black Enterprise. And welcome to our inaugural episode of Chasing Success. With me today is Brian Lamb, the Global Head of Diversity and Inclusion at J.P. Morgan Chase. Brian's role is to make sure that everything that is developed through J.P. Morgan Chase is seen through a diversity lens, building on existing programs, as well as overseeing the DNI efforts of Chase, including advancing Black pathways, advancing Black leaders, as well as an array of other programs that focuses on the diversity space. Brian, welcome. Uh, thank you for joining us today. Derek, first of all, good to see you. And uh, thank you for the chance to spend some time together. I'm looking forward to the conversation. Yeah, um, this, is, this is great. You've uh, been in the position since, uh, since May and uh, you came at a time of a great transition. You came in the middle of the, as the, you know, the COVID was engulfing our nation. You came a month before the George Floyd's tragic death and the uh, civil unrest that ensued around that. Share with us that period of time coming into the organization at that time with such a massive uh, undertaking that you have in your newly created position. No, Derek, I, I think you summarized it right. It's, it's been a very challenging 2020, right? Not just in our neighborhoods and our homes. This has rippled through our business. Uh, it, it's, it's rippled around the world and created you know, substantial disruption uh, to a way of life. But what I think's probably more acute to this situation, what you and I are talking about, Derek, is we know, and the data points to it, and we see it, that the Black community in particular has been disproportionately impacted by all of the challenges this year. The, 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 the COVID-19 virus, there's no doubt uh, that it has impacted everyone. Uh, I, I don't want to suggest that in any way. I mean, we all, uh, in one way or another, have felt the impacts of that. But when you look at Black businesses, when you look at the Black community, uh, we've got work to do to make sure we position them to get on the other side of this and thrive and grow and not just survive. For me, moving into the role, I would tell you, uh, I couldn't have predicted it, Derek. I mean, it's been tough, you know, uh, but I had a responsibility though, buddy. I gotta be honest with you. It was a hell of a lot less about me and it was much more about making sure that J.P. Morgan Chase responds the right way, right? Comes forth with real thoughtful strategies and actions to effectively double down on our longstanding commitment to diversity and inclusion. So I'm lucky to be a part of the firm. I feel good about the role that I'm playing. I'm lucky to have, I'm fortunate to have great people around me. Uh, so the transition in to your point was tough, but I think what was more important is that we responded to those that were in need and had an expectation that JP Morgan Chase show up. Well, as you were looking at responding to need, you know, you were part of an unprecedented $30 billion investment in racial equity, in advancing underserved communities, in advancing African-Americans. Share with me, you know, already Chase has been involved with Advancing Black Pathways, the Entrepreneurs of Color Fund and some other efforts. Share with me what 
happened in that room when the leaders came together and decided to make this huge investment and to use that double down, it's almost like triple down on, you know, providing access to opportunities for African-Americans and underserved communities. Well, I, you know, I got to tell you, you know, from our chairman and CEO, Jamie Dimon, down through all of the leadership, Gordon and Dan, Gordon Smith, Daniel Pinto, our co-presidents, our operating committee, uh, the list goes on. There was a very swift response with regards to knowing that we needed to step up and lead from the front. Um, you know, Jamie played a role with the business roundtable and kind of galvanizing a unified approach to the response. More importantly, within the J.P. Morgan Chase family, we knew that we needed to lean in heavily. When you think about the 30 billion, and I don't want to just use billions because I think it's more about the work okay. beneath that. I think it's more about the impact and the tens of thousands or millions of people that we can improve their lives. But when we designed that, to your point in the room, we did a couple of things. Number one, we needed to listen. There, we needed to listen to the community. We've got great advisors and partners in the community that were able to provide perspective, be very, very clear about what they thought success looks like in terms of impacting the wealth gap, for example, to create racial uh, equitable, equitable opportunities around wealth. We also use research. Uh, the J.P. Morgan Chase Institute is a fantastic source of insight it helped us start to laser in on the Black and Latinx community and what we need to be doing on how we can really attack some of the challenges, particularly with regards, again, what we talked about was how do we help play a role in closing the wealth gap? And we use research to help us make informed decisions. And then the last thing I would tell you, just among many things, is we challenged ourselves. What's really important to know is this was a business-led approach to diversity and inclusion, DNI as a business, if you will. We didn't think we would have real systemic, long-term impact if we just led with philanthropy. Now, to be clear, philanthropy plays a really important role, and it's, in a, it's a companion solution to the effort that we put in place. But we felt, all of the leaders felt, that it was important that the businesses really put forth incremental effort around home lending, affordable housing, small business, small business investment and development around the work that we need to do to invest in the community, specifically as it relates to financial health and coaching and mentoring, developing opportunities and providing more access in the local market. So you will see as you kind of flip through the, the commitment, there's a fair amount of detail that was intentional that we thought would be different, Derek, with regards to other commitments that we've seen. And so there was a lot of a lot of effort that went into it, but but the truth to be told, there the real work's to be done, yeah. and that's getting the impact into the local communities, the Black community, the Latinx community, uh, and we know that that as part of our five year commitment, uh, we still have work to do to be able to deliver around that. So, uh, I'm going to unpack a few of the things that you you talked about, but what was uh, interesting to me was that. The focus was that DNI is a business imperative. You know, so it, you know, it's not a nice thing to do. It's something that is important to drive your customers and to build and expand a diverse customer base. Right. That was part of the objective. In terms of looking at the racial wealth gap, share with us 
the focus on home ownership. You know, we, we know that African-American communities uh, compared to the white community have uh, less home ownership. We saw the impact of um, home ownership and the, the hit on wealth in terms of the Great Recession. But share with me uh, J.P. Uh, Morgan Chase's approach to home ownership as it relates to African-Americans, the $8 billion in loans, loan commitment, and what that's going to mean over the course of five years. Yeah, so you know, I think you're striking at, at the real heart of, of the commitment. If you, if you kind of peel it back, a large percentage of the commitment, both in dollars, in units, in effort, centers around home ownership. We've got about $8 billion or 40,000 purchase units that were focused on in the Black and Latinx community. We've got another $4 billion in addition to that for the Black and Latinx community, specifically related to refinance. Derek, you and I know there's a, there's a lot of opportunity to reduce the cost of home ownership. And if we can save homeowners a couple of hundred dollars a month, and what that could mean in terms of helping provide stability and prosperity as people begin to grow and have financial certainty, all of that counts towards it. And then in addition to that, there's this idea that not everyone is positioned or ready or interested in buying a home. So we need to make sure we're also solving for rental. So we talk specifically about 100,000 rental units. And, and, and if you kind of take a step back, you mentioned earlier, you talked about advancing Black pathways, which we believe is a center of excellence for the Black community inside J.P. Morgan Chase and outside J.P. Morgan Chase. They are absolutely, when you look at what we've done in advancing Black pathways, that's part of this whole strategy, right? It all stitches together in terms of leveraging and building upon you know, real strategies that we put in place that would help us execute on this plan. With regards to home ownership, what's important, we know, and the data would tell us, that it, you, you probably have got to go back to the 1960s to where you saw home ownership levels for the Black community at, at this rate, right? And that's a long time ago, and it's disappointing, and, and it's discouraging unless you really go and do something about it. And so we believe leaning in pretty heavily around home ownership, Derek, does strike at the heart of what is a racial wealth gap, where we know 70 cents on the dollar for the black family relative to a white family. And this is just research that has been very well widely distributed. We think there's an opportunity to close that gap. We believe one of the most important ways to do that is to create access to home ownership. Small business, I would tell you, is, is, is right there as well. We know entrepreneurship uh, is very important. Black entrepreneurs play a critical role in the future of wealth accumulation and wealth transfer. And so we also think about that as well. So we'll hopefully, Derek, have a chance to talk a little bit about small business, the role it plays in the Black community, and ultimately in society as a whole, in terms of creating GDP growth, economic inclusion. Uh, we believe home ownership and small business. That's a reason we leaned in pretty heavy on both of those. Yeah, I'd love to talk about it uh, right now. <laughs> you know, the, um, as you know, entrepreneurship is um, you know, core to Black enterprise amongst our other areas of wealth building. Um, when you look at African-American um, uh, small businesses or, or businesses, 95% are sole proprietorship of partnerships. 
and the investment in businesses is, is significant to, to, say, to say the least. In terms of the plan, is the focus also to look at how to help black firms scale and grow? Because I know another part of your area uh, and another part of your portfolio is global supplier diversity. And at this point, there are companies that don't have the, the size and the bandwidth to uh, serve as suppliers for large corporations. So please share with me the investment in small, um, small and Black-owned businesses. And then two, the emphasis on scaling up to gain size and scale so that you can realize greater opportunities and employ uh, actually more African-Americans since Black businesses uh, tend to employ African-Americans as part of its employee base. No, Derek, listen, it, you know, I think Black Enterprise is just, uh, if anyone, a signature example of what highlighting entrepreneurship in the Black community is all about. And so, uh, you know, I think it's spot on as we're thinking about, you know, chasing for business. The work that Black Enterprise has done, frankly, is a model for us to really be thinking about holistically. At J.P. Morgan Chase, when we talked about in our commitment, small business. There's a $2 billion commitment that's specifically centered around using our own balance sheet, right? Lending money, 15,000 loans over and above our current run rate with businesses, with Black and Latinx businesses. It also includes, and this is important, Derek, building on our partnership with a network of CDFIs that we have confidence in that can deploy that capital into the local markets, that can put that capital to work in the black community. I don't want to abandon that. That's a very important part of the strategy we believe that works, that we're going to continue to scale. In addition to the 2 billion there, we think about supplier diversity. So let's, let's call those business partners. These are, these are businesses, black businesses, that have the ability to do business with JP Morgan Chase in a thoughtful way. So how are we thinking about that? That's over 750 million between black and Latinx businesses that we want to spend over the next five years, okay? Couple of things we think about. Number one, we've got to go look at our processes, Derek. That was something that you mentioned earlier around, hey, what did you work on this summer? Was really looking at our processes to identify, onboard, deliver the right equitable experience for black businesses as they try to do business with JP Morgan Chase. Capacity building, right? Helping them identify whether it's related to cyber controls, bonding capacity, all of the typical road roadblocks that can get in the way of doing business with a big firm like J.P. Morgan Chase. We're starting to think in front of that and predict where those challenges might arise and be able to work with businesses to help get them through the process. And then in addition to that, we know at the end of the day, we've got to create a competitive environment. And so we're providing more transparency to our business owners within the firm, right? Folks that, are lend, that run the businesses that are spending the money, giving them a line of sight in terms of their opportunities in advance, being able to plan ahead in terms of when they might have RFPs or different opportunities to bid out work and also have a line of sight when they've got a great slate of diverse businesses to partner with. So there, I'm throwing a lot out there, but my point around process enhancing the way that we do business, we believe will create, create equitable opportunities. And that scale you described, that's all about as we work with businesses and help pull them through our process, 
they can do business with J.P. Morgan Chase. We know they're prepared and able to do business with Fortune 500 companies all over the world. And so the, that's how we think about our role, our process, and the impact that we ultimately want to have. The $750 million that we like to spend with Black and Latinx businesses over the next five years is across a wide range of categories as well, Derek. So I think that's important to mention. It's not just real estate related. It's not just marketing related. You know, our partners in legal, our partners in technology, partners around the firm that are spending money. We are thinking about how everyone can play a role in distributing that capital. So it's um, it's expansive in terms of the reach and in terms of the engagement of African-American entrepreneurs and others who have been traditionally underrepresented. So in terms of the current environment, <clears throat> COVID-19, is there a plan to help these firms also innovate? Because as you discuss growing these firms, investing in these firms, we've also seen through COVID more than 40% of black companies doors being closed, shut since February. And as a result, you know, how do these companies pivot? How do these companies, you know, engage in the current environment and position themselves for this new environment? Is Chase playing a role in advising and providing guidance in that area as well? Well, I tell you, so I want to touch on two topics there. I'm going to talk, talk about some of the work we're doing in Advancing Black Pathways, which very quickly wanted to respond to the environment you're describing that was impact, you know, our businesses were impacted by COVID. And then I also want to mention some of the work we're doing around upskilling. Uh, our own employees and outside the firm, Derek, I do believe that when you think about the future of work, we should talk about that. So let me, let me start with Advancing Black Pathways and the work that we stood up very quickly this summer around advancing black entrepreneurs, okay? And this work around advancing black entrepreneurs, I'm sure you'll appreciate Derek, how important that was. Because number one, we needed to be sensitive to the COVID environment and how it was putting real pressure on businesses with regards to cash flow, the decisions they needed to make with agility to respond. So we did a couple things in advancing black entrepreneurs. Number one, we brought some of the best leaders in the country best partners together to help us talk to um, black entrepreneurs to provide advice. And so that's a big part of the program. Additionally, we wanted to provide resources and tools. So if you go on to uh, our advancing black entrepreneurs website, you can see the programming, <clears throat> the programming and the tools that and resources that we're looking to provide to black entrepreneurs as they start to make decisions so that they not only can survive, but thrive on the other side of COVID. And then thirdly, we wanted to highlight success stories. In many cases, and I think Black Enterprise has done a fantastic job around this, is showcasing where Black businesses have done exceptionally well manage, managing through crisis and challenge, and ultimately have become success stories in creating jobs, economic growth, and being built to last into the future. And so we wanted to take a page out of the Black Enterprise book around showcasing black businesses and highlighting stories that ultimately should inspire and educate other black entrepreneurs. So as we thought about COVID, Advancing Black Pathways really wanted to be a leader around those types of insights. Another topic I'll just touch on Derek briefly is upskilling. 
I do believe if you think about our individual employees, we've got over 260,000 employees in the firm, many of which, of course, are black employees around the world, in fact. But if you think lower down in the organization, as employees start to think about their career and want to move from a job to a career, we also announced as part of our commitment that we're going to invest heavily in upskilling our employees, trade and certifications and degree programs that we believe will prepare them for the future of work. These investments are directly into our own employees. The coaching, the learning, and the solutions we provide should give, give them a pathway to develop their own careers and be positioned to stay and be successful within our own organization. This is a comprehensive approach to thinking and predicting, Derek, where do we believe the jobs or the skills are for the future? And are we investing in our employees today to make sure they have access to those? So over the next 6, 12, 18 months, we're building out the framework that allow us to do that, not only in the United States, but for our employees worldwide. So I just give those two examples as you think about responding to COVID, the, you know, the, the real tough environment that it's created, and then ultimately, what are we doing as a firm to respond? As uh, part of the investment you talked about employees, there's a uh, focus on uh, diversifying, further diversifying the, uh, the employee base. Um, one of the areas that has been challenged area for us, particularly African-American uh, employees in corporate America, has been the C-suite and senior management. Um, share with me how Chase is approaching create putting more people on the C-suite track, more African-Americans on the C-suite track so that we can see management, uh, senior management more diversified. No, absolutely. Listen, I, you know, I think about uh, our chairman and CEO, who's uh, Jamie Diamond, who's been very clear on his expectations uh, and modeling the way around changing the trajectory and opportunity for Blacks within our firm. Uh, most recently, you may have seen and heard our very own Tashonda Duckett uh, has joined the operating committee for J.P. Morgan Chase. And uh, she's not only a fantastic and inspirational leader, quite frankly, for the firm, uh, she's part of the leadership team now that guides the direction uh, of our entire organization worldwide. Uh, we also added Carlos Hernandez to our operating committee as a Hispanic. Uh, I think he also is a fantastic leader. He leads a very large part uh, of our corporate investment bank and plays an instrumental role in the success of our firm. And so very recently, Jamie has made those decisions and changes. And I think it speaks to his serious commitment uh, to creating pathways. If I pull you back a little further and I kind of just give you a walk around the work we've done with Advancing Black Pathways within the firm for Black leaders, over the last few years, we've grown our managing director population, which is our most senior level roles in the company, over 50% in the Black population, right? So if you think about the number of Black MDs that we've had and that we've added over the last 6, 12, 24 months, there's been significant increases. And Derek, to your point, that's the pathway to the C-suite, right? You have to create more managing directors. You have to give them large scope and scale so that they can drive business and then have trajectories to do more in the organization. And so it's been a very intentional effort as we look to advance black leaders in the firm. Frankly, we're not done. Derek, I gotta tell you, we have work to do as an organization. We acknowledge that, we take that head on as we think about the goals that we have for the future, 
even though we can build on the momentum for the, the progress that we've been able to show around black leadership, there's a clear acknowledgement that we have work to do to continue that trajectory for all of our diverse employees, but particularly in the black community where we probably have the most work to do. So someone coming into the organization, an HBCU student, when they see that managing director, when they see a Tassanda Duckett, when they see you, that it communicates that they can advance in, within the organization and reach that C-suite and, and, and maybe even higher, you know, higher positions within the, uh, the organization. So, no, you look, it, it's, you know, there's an age old phrase like you, you, you know, people want to see the possibilities. You know, you think about the talent and I mean, amazing talent that comes out of our historically black colleges and universities for them to be able to see examples at the senior leadership level of what they can achieve, what they can aspire to. That's inspiring and should be inspiring for all of us, not just the students. So yes, as part of our program, which you, as you know, we've got a longstanding commitment to HBCUs. We're looking to continue to grow that, quite frankly, especially in this environment where many of the HBCUs have been impacted by COVID as well. Uh, it's been a very challenging summer. And, and, and if you think about the, the early spring, when, when we started to have these challenges, a number of our HBCUs and their leadership reached out to us and said, it's a difficult time. So we put in place there, this is important, a hardship program for students that were challenged around affording to go to college or stay in college, something as simple as books or tuition or even affording rent, okay, in their housing or other challenges to get home, things, things that were all about the student experience and student success. We created a hardship program at J.P. Morgan Chase that we partnered with uh, the United Negro College Fund uh, and, the Thoroughgood, and Thoroughgood Marshall to partner to create this hardship fund that we could invest in black students at HBCUs. So when you, when you, your earlier point on what are we doing around COVID, I hope we're doing things that will inspire so many others. And quite frankly, we can still do more. Uh, but as you think about HBCUs, we all have to galvanize around creating a great experience and closing the achievement gap at our HBCUs so that they can continue to grow and thrive. So closing the racial wealth gap, closing the business opportunity gap, closing the achievement gap. Um, what do you do to prepare for the next crises? And let me give you the context of my question. Okay. Um, during, the, during the Great Recession, we saw the uh, the wealth of African Americans, you know, fall. It was 444.3 percent uh, versus 26 percent for you know Black Americans versus White Americans. And it seems like whenever there's a crisis, we tend to see a further, uh, you know, pullback in terms of opportunities and where we need to achieve. Given this program. How do you look at preparation for the next crisis so all this good work does not go for naught when we have another crisis and we see the diminution of home ownership or the diminution of Black um, entrepreneurs and Black businesses uh, or the Black failure rate or 
you know, the challenges to our uh, HBCU institutions uh, continue? Well, you know, look, there, there's no doubt that we will see tough times ahead, uh, whether it's a year or a decade from now. The way we think about diversity and inclusion and our investments and our commitments are generational commitments. We, we are thinking about this around what is the impact that we're going to have for the next generation. So a big reason we wanted to focus on home ownership, a big reason we wanted to focus on entrepreneurship and helping entrepreneurs create stability, manage cash flow, right? Having liquidity during difficult times. That's all part of the conversations that we're having around the coaching and development for entrepreneurs. Long-term investments, right? We're going to build 100 branches in underserved, underrepresented communities, right? Those are 50-year investments when we make those. So we're in this for the long haul, both in our physical investments, the talent that we're hiring, the strategies and the coaching and mentoring that we're providing to entrepreneurs and homeowners. Home ownership, as you and I know, Derek, principally, can transform the wealth trajectory for a family. So as we can get individuals into their homes, reduce their cost of home ownership, we believe these are all principal fundamentals so that the strength of the Black family, the strength of the Black community is better positioned when tough times come. And look, there, there is no doubt that we will all have to rally together again when challenges come forward. But we would like to be better prepared. We'd like for there to be more equitable opportunities when those, when those challenges arise. And that's a lot of what this is about, is being prepared for the future and the next generation. Well, the, the um, last question I'd like to ask you is, um, you are, this is a personal passion. I mean, this is a personal mission of yours. Um, ever since you've been in you know, Cincinnati or other positions, when we see the conclusion of this program or the continuation of the program in five years, what would you like to see at the, what is the, for you, what is the, the end game? How would you like to see all of this manifest itself? Yeah, well, you know, I, I, um, I was talking to some of our top leadership about the commitment before we launched it, our path forward. It's what we, we talk about is our commitment is the path forward. And I principally said, when the day is done, when we are judged, when those look back, and look at our effort during this time of need, during this time of crisis, what will they say? Derek, what will they say J.P. Morgan Chase did to do its part in more than its fair share to create equitable opportunities? What will they say about my leadership and advancing Black Pathways? What will they say about the work that we do in our local communities with our nonprofits and our CDFIs? What will they say for those that we brought into the firm have they been positioned to advance over the next few years? There's, there's this list of considerations around what will they say? And ultimately, what will our legacy be? And, and so I go into this with that lens. I think about it that way. Our, our top leadership, we want to be remembered. We want to be thought of. and We want our reputation to stand up to the test of time that we did the right thing, even when it was difficult, maybe when it was hard to measure, and in some cases, and frankly, most cases, when we don't even need the credit, we simply do it because we know at the end of the day that we did our part 
and that we hopefully inspired others to do theirs and that collectively we can transform the next generation. So when another difficult time happens, Derek, some 25 years from now, if we run into another crisis like this, those that come behind us are better prepared. They're better positioned and better equipped to respond so we don't go backwards. So that's how I think about, you know, when my job is done, when the day is done, that's the lens that I look through. That's the measurement of success for me. It's not about taking credit. It's not about being the biggest or having the largest commitment or all those things. They're relevant. They matter. But it's not how I ultimately want to be remembered. And it's not why J.P. Morgan Chase is leaning in during this very pivotal moment in time. Brian, thank you for this powerful conversation and the work that you do. And thank you for being our first guest on Chasing Success. Absolutely. We'll chase it together, my friend. Derek, great to see you. Thank you. Great to see you as well. Bye-bye.